FinTech Hunting is hosted by Michael Hammett, JD, CMT, keynote speaker, author, and founder and president of Next Level Advisors. Join Michael as he seeks out tech visionaries, leading lenders, trailblazing executives, and other financial influencers to bring you actionable insights and lead generation tactics, all centered around industry greatness and success. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to FinTech Hunting. We have an incredible guest for you today. Uh, it is Kevin Perenio. He is the Chief Lending Officer at PRMG. He is a thought leader, an industry influencer, a social media rock star, and the list could go on and on. Kevin, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me again. I really appreciate it, Michael. It, it is great to have you. And before we get started, before I ask you some questions, the, the first thing that I want to do on behalf of myself and behalf of the industry is to thank you uh, with a very genuine thank you for all of the incredible content. Uh, you've done such a fabulous job during this pandemic of informing and educating people. And a lot of those videos, listeners, if you're not following Kevin on LinkedIn, you need to. Uh, his videos come out, and most of the time he's doing them at 12, 1, 2, 3 in the morning, California time. Uh, and it's a great way for me to wake up in the morning. I always get a pulse of what's going on by watching your videos. So thank you for the amazing work that you're doing for the industry. I appreciate it. I, it, it, was, it was really interesting how it came about. I just felt compelled to speak up because, you know, we're, we're in a time of crisis, and and I'm glad that at least someone's watching. So thank you for the kind comments. I appreciate it. So in those videos, you do a great job of really kind of laying down a lot of very complex issues in the mortgage industry. And you, you have a wonderful gift of simplifying them. And I was wondering for our listeners who haven't had a chance to listen to your videos yet or watch any of your videos, can you kind of give just a quick state of the market as it is today and kind of your observations to share with our listeners. Yeah, you know, it's it's a unique time for for everyone, regardless of industry. You know, we've never faced, well, let's say our generations and, and, and a few generations haven't faced this kind of pandemic before. It's been literally, I think, since uh, the 50s, where you had the Hong Kong flu and the Asian flu. And, uh, and of course, you know, we had the swine flu, uh, you know, some years back, but there was no national lockdown and it's just a unique, unique situation. And that puts pressure on the economy and it puts pressure on our industry specifically. And there's just so much that goes on behind the scenes. You know, everybody, everybody has a role, you know, in this industry and, and we all focus on what we do. But let's just say you're an originator and you're you're staring at your rate sheet and you're like, what in the heck is going on here? Like, why is this what it is? And, you know, there's a lot of people that are asking why. Why is this? Why, you know, why did non-QM go away? Why, why does my rate sheet, you know, not have any money in it? Why, you know, why, why, why? So it's good to ask these questions. And, you know, there there are many, many people in this industry, you know, who are um, owners of lenders uh, who are C-level executives that do uh, a lot of uh, strategizing behind the scenes of how to navigate these these uh, turbulent waters, and, and so you know I think it's I think it's worth mentioning you know the thought behind that. It, it's it's very interesting. I'll just I only kind of bring it down to to me personally 
just for, for to answer this question in one in one kind of point here is that you know I'm 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 relatively young. I'll be 44 in August. So as an owner of a lender and a C-level executive uh, with my main role over sales, I think what you're seeing is there's there's a transition in how we communicate. Like so, for example, you've made that transition personally. You know, you have this podcast and you you put a premium on authenticity and transparency and you know that's those traits are not unique to millennials even though everywhere you look at on tiktok you know or or <laughs> you know instagram or facebook you know like that that is the currency is authenticity and transparency and, and, and so that doesn't mean that the people at at um, ownership level or C-level don't also value that. But where it gets lost in that in that value proposition is that people don't communicate it in a modern way. And so I love, you know, the fact that you want to talk about these things on your podcast and get it out. You know, I, I can barely even answer, well, why is this? Why is that? To just my own organization of 2,100 people. And so for me, putting a LinkedIn video out there and talking about these things, not only am I able to touch any of my employees who ask, you, you know, we, 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 our marketing team takes my videos from LinkedIn and puts them out almost daily on a, on a global email to everybody. And so I, I, I was writing hand typing late at night, global emails to my own company, you know, a couple times a week. And, you know, I'm busy too. You know, it's hard to sit down and, and write it all out when I can just literally ramble for 10 minutes and pop it on a video, usually in one take, you know, just kind of formulating some thoughts and just get it out there. And then, you know, you see that, you know, some days, you know, um, you know, it touches thousands of people across the industry. So, so it's just kind of my thought is just kind of bringing, you know, things that you and I both value and then just communicating it, you know, authentically and transparently in a, in a modern way in, in my my medium of choice is, uh, is LinkedIn, and I love doing uh, podcasts for, for people that I respect and cherish so much like you. Well, Kevin, thank you so much. And, and you're right, this new modern media of being able to get out and be able to impact lives. And first, it takes that genuine, authentic you know, desire for you to add value to the industry because you have the insights in. And what I love is you research it, you have great facts, you talk to other experts, but then you can break it down and make it very, very simple for any of the listeners, any of the viewers that are watching those videos. So as we talk about this pandemic and using these different medias to, to get, you know, a message out there. Can you give us some quick updates on, you know, FHFA, forbearance, liquidity, unemployment, scratch and dent. For those that are just clamoring for a nugget of mortgage information, can you sprinkle in a little bit of your knowledge and drop some for the, the listeners? Yeah, for sure. So, so as of the date of this recording, we just had, two really big announcements, two days in a row, one each day from FHFA. And for, for those that are listening, that is the regulator that oversees Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. And in, in conventional, uh, conventional loans, you know, are pulled and securitized, you know, and quite, you know, you know, actually owned by Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. And so, you know, there are servicers that service on behalf of Fannie Mae and, and Freddie Mac. We are one of those. And we're a non-bank. 
we are not a, a, a depository uh, bank. We are a non-bank. We are privately owned. There's two gentlemen, Paul Rozo and Robert Holiday, who founded Paramount Residential Mortgage Group, PRMG, back in 2001, um, right around the time of 9-11. And, you know, you know, what I will say is that, you know, not all non-banks are alike. Not all banks are alike. Um, you know, but but the the director of the FHFA, Mark Calabria, um, he has a worldview that is uh, is part of why he was chosen by this administration. You know, I believe he was um, I believe he was uh, working with uh, Senator Shelby uh, for many years out of Alabama, um, and uh, he uh, he was handpicked, I believe, as I read it online, by Vice President Pence to be over the FHFA. So he is one of the players that works together with Secretary of Treasury um, Steve Mnuchin, um, who has a long history, you know, in even in our business in, in, in dealing with, uh, with the Bank of the West. You know, he was part of that bailout and restructuring and wind down, you know, during the, the financial crisis. And so, you know, he, you know, the, you know, Jerome Powell, you know, you've got the Fed chairman, you've got a lot of players that are deciding what is the best way to to support housing. And there are different opinions. I mean, they're just different opinions on how to support housing. I mean, you know, if if you're a if you're a, a non-bank and you're a gigantic servicer, which we're not, you know, our company only has about 6,500 units, it's hardly anything, nothing we can't manage on our own without any help. But if you're a larger servicer and you have hundreds of thousands of loans, there the, the forbearance policy per the CARES Act has made it very difficult to to navigate and and be able to quite honestly survive as a servicer so so you know just what a lot of people um, may not have known until they asked why recently you know when a loan doesn't perform when a borrower doesn't pay the servicer has to make those payments so on on Ginny May loans which are FHA VA and USDA loans the servicer has to front the principal and interest payments until that loan is finally you know, uh, worked worked out as a default and 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 taken out of the out of the security pool, and that could take a while. And so, Ginny May, you know, that being a Ginny May issuer and servicing those loans is a heavy, heavy burden. Thankfully, Ginny May came out very quickly and provided multiple liquidity sources to the market and said, "Look, we understand this is a major problem. Here's what we're going to do for you, servicers. We're going to make sure you have the money you need." to be able to get through this crazy time because it is crazy and unexpected for you to have modeled in, you know, six, 10, 15% of your FHA, USDA, VA portfolio to have to front up to 12 payments for them on their behalf because of a hardship due to somebody eating bat soup in Wuhan, China. So, right. you know, it's just, it's just not something that servicers model in. So that's the good news. The bad news, is on the Fannie Freddie side, um, you know, the FHFA, the regulator there, you know, they have not stepped in and provided liquidity. They have not stepped in and said, you know, hey, don't worry, servicers. I, I know this is weird and random and and whatever, but um, you're still on the hook. And, and not only that, they, they even went out of the way to say, if you close and fund a new loan on a conventional loan, 
and the borrower goes into forbearance before you settle the Fannie or Freddie mortgage-backed security, we're not going to buy it. So it just threw the entire market in, in, in a fit. So to, to get back to the last couple of days, the, the FHFA two days ago said, okay, if you're a Fannie Freddie um, servicer, you only have to make the first four payments while borrowers um, are go into forbearance, which is a convenient thing for them to say because most conventional wisdom is that, that we will be getting back out into the workforce in May, maybe June. Now, it may not be the same, and people who take a forbearance really should have a true hardship, for example, reduction in income or loss of job or furlough, and that's who this policy really was for. And there are some people that are taking advantage of it because the, the CARES Act didn't require any documentation. You just, hey, right. I need you know? So, so you know, it, it posed a real, a lot of uncertainty. And so two days ago, some certainty was restored for Fannie Freddie servicers that only four payments needed to be paid. And if a borrower goes into forbearance longer than that, payments five through 12, then Fannie and Freddie would pay the bondholders of mortgage-backed securities if a borrower is in forbearance longer than four months. So that, that brought some certainty on, on existing book. And on, on new loans, <clears throat> the uncertainty still remained. Okay, well, Fannie and Freddie told us if we close and fund a new loan and then the borrower asks for forbearance before we securitize and settle the security, well, we can't even sell it to them. They won't buy it. So what they basically said is, okay, we'll buy it. But only if it's a first-time home buyer, and we'll charge you five points, 500 basis points. If it's a rate and term refinance on uh, a second home or an investment property, we're going to charge you seven points, 700 points. Wow. It, 700, 700 basis points, excuse me. And if it's a cash-out refinance, it is still ineligible for, for purchase. So, so someone does a cash-out, they take money out, they pay off all their debt. Maybe they don't necessarily walk away with cash. They just pay off their credit cards or whatever. They use their equity that they have, which, by the way, like there's 19, $19.7 trillion in equity out there. And, and so if someone does a cash out, then says, yeah, I want free payments now for forbearance, that, that Fannie and Freddie have clarified they will not still will not buy that loan. So there's still a lot of disruption. I guess it's better than nothing, but it, it, doesn't, it doesn't sit well and taste well for, for servicers because they're still having to model in significant amounts of cash to kind of keep things going. Exactly. Well, great insights there. I know our listeners are going to go back and listen to those points. And I always appreciate that because you, you take very complex issues and break it down so that everyone can digest it. Where do you see the market kind of going forward? How do, as an industry, how do we move forward in this time of such uncertainty? Well, I think, I think, Regardless of what the regulators, FHFA, Treasury, Fed, Congress, uh, regardless of what they are going to do going forward or may not do, I think if any any servicer is, I think they're all working on getting enough liquidity to to sustain operations. So, so when you have uncertainty, which we still do, which we, there, there still is uncertainty. So, you know. How many borrowers are going to go into forbearance? We, we don't know yet. Like, I feel like the new forbearance request has peaked, although 
Um, some have said, well, you know what? Maybe they were able they were able to make April's payment, but now, you know, we get closer to the end of April, like like next week, the last day of the month is Thursday. So, you know, bar can make a payment up to that point and not be considered late on their credit report, even though you know it's a big misnomer. I was even texting my sister a little while ago. You know, if you pay on the 16th of the month, you get a late fee, but on your credit report, your loan is not late. Uh, until it's truly 30 days late, which so so will borrowers who haven't made their April payment yet, will they do so by the end of, of the month, which is next Thursday, or will more people, will there be a spike and more people go into forbearance? Okay, maybe some made April payment, but now May's coming up and they're burning through their savings, you know, and they just, you know what, I, I have to go into forbearance now. My belief, my personal belief, and I'm doing this you know, based on a little bit of data and also a little bit of feeling. Is it truly people who need this, who who don't have the money, who don't save and lost their job or had a reduction in income, they probably already called. I mean, the majority of them. I mean, the, right. the, I, I feel the peak has passed. That's just my opinion. No one knows, right? So so we need more data to come out. And then and then so there's also, but that's uncertainty, right? And so, so where we're going depends on more certainty around these issues. So, so I spoke to some mortgage insurance um, executives yesterday. They said, you know, we don't even know our exposure because nothing even shows up on the radar for an MI company unless they're 60 days late. And we're not even 60 days into this thing. So, right. so they, don't have, they don't have the data they need. Although I will say mortgage insurance companies are extremely well capitalized since the last financial crisis. And so um, there's more uncertainty when, when, when will, or if will Congress or someone say, okay, this is the last day you can even ask for forbearance? Well, then that cause a rush and a spike, you know. So, and then when borrowers go into forbearance, how long will they be in forbearance? How much do services have to front, you know? Um, and so they, if they are able to go get cash, they, you know, they have to model that in. And then the, the ultimate, ultimate is, okay, borrowers that go into forbearance, some of them will ultimately default and go into foreclosure. They're not going to be able to work it out, even with a loan modification. And so where does that end? You know, and, and we have some experience at PRMG with that because we, we service some hurricane territories in Texas and Florida, which thankfully those two states are the least affected by jobless claims. It seems like Michigan and Pennsylvania are the two worst, followed by, um, I believe it's uh, Rhode Island, Hawaii, and, uh, yeah, I live in I live in Michigan, and, and we're getting hammered. Hammered. It's crazy. I mean, I don't. You know, it's just been a it's just been an awful, awful situation for that state, and not only from a jobless claim, but also the health crisis. I mean, there's some some you know you guys have a really tough time up there, but you know, I mean, it's it's hard because you know there's so much uncertainty on so many different fronts, and so when I, when you say where everything's going. What, what you can say is, okay, there's less new cases of coronavirus. There's less forbearance requests, but there's still pain and suffering. And so right. where does it end? You know, where does it end? And, and, and how does it help us say, okay, we, we, aren't, we aren't happy with where it is, and, but the pain is something that's manageable. So it's like, you know, when you suffer an injury running, you hurt your knee, you have to take some time off, and then you kind of ease your way back into it. And you're like, you know what? I can't do 10 miles every other day, but you know what? I can, I can do three to five 
three times a week and I'll just, my knee will always throb and hurt, but I'll ice it and I'll be okay. And, and ultimately you look at, I mean, you look at some lenders out there I mean, there were some lenders that were just endlessly projecting upward and never stopped. And now they can only do so much because they're limited by their cash constraint, the uncertainty surrounding these policies. And, um, you know, it's just, it's very, it, there's still uncertainty. But, but what I will say to, 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 to kind of put it on a positive note, interest rates are very good. I mean, they're historically the best they've ever been. I, I think within 60 to 90 days, you'll see uh, a lot more historically low as in ever rates out on rate sheets because there will be more certainty and more data around um, where all the issues will land and in the larger services you know we we sell to fannie freddie and jenny direct but you know before this crisis we sold a lot of loans to large aggregates and so i would say mo most most lenders sell to large aggregates and whether it's wells chase or penny mac or amerahome um, lakeview you know or, or mr cooper any of these really large aggregators that are out there, um, once they kind of find their footing on how to deal with what capital they need on, on, on licking their wounds from the forbearance of the servicing portfolio, they will then turn around and say, okay, we feel good or better about where we're at and our liquidity capacity. We will now start to pay a little bit more for new loans. And that's when it filters its way down into rate sheets um, across all channels. And so I, I think, where we're looking at now versus 60 to 90 days from now will be a, a, a definite improvement. Well, that is good to hear. And I appreciate those observations. As we talk through all this, I know knowing you very well, you're also very, have a wonderful pulse of technology. Have you seen any technology, whether it's new innovations or technology that's been out there, but that has really helped lenders deal with the current market conditions? Yeah, there's 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 two that I really really like. Um, so I, I would say generally, you know, with rates being as low as they are, I'll give you an example. So we were we were analyzing at the beginning of this year and the end of our year, we were looking at our CRM and evaluating its ability to prospect and get new business, and we we're 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 constantly trying to improve. So it's really nice that you know we're having a record january a record february and we're looking at how to do even more business and we're, we're trying to see what's the best we can get out of our crm so we had some great talks with our existing partner and we looked at a couple other partners as well and so our our thought was was okay you know let's let's do more business and let's be more efficient at it and, and have more automation and then this you know forbearance bomb COVID 19 historic low interest rates came up so we made a quick pivot as a company we're like, okay, we're, we're literally spearing loans out of the sky. We don't really need hope, you know, help um, trying to get new loans. I mean, basically just pick up the phone and talk to anyone in your past database because they want to know if they're eligible for refinance. Literally $5 trillion, $5 trillion in loans are eligible for refinance right now. The industry can't fund it all in 30 days. So we feel like we're pretty much set for the rest of the year as far as getting new business. So we made a quick pivot to a different area to gain efficiency. And the second half of the year, we really had, um, we've had a couple of vendors we've been looking at, a few, for e-closing, e-hybrid um, closed solution. 
Well, with title and escrow companies shutting down and not being able to do as much face-to-face -face or limiting their capacity, it really pulled that topic forward, not just for us, but for the whole industry. So we're not unique in that respect. So having an e-close solution is something that um, you know we've we've really really looked at and 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 I just for those listening that are kind of new to, to e-close there's there's a there's a few different pieces of it right so there there's the actual um, e-documents and e-signing of documents right there's a portal that borrowers do that within so there's there's the e-close there is um, an e-note uh, if you will do they actually sign you know a, a a note a certain way or is it stored electronically i guess is a better way to put that um that is one of the few documents that's typically wet signed um regardless of what product or who you sell to what state you're in then there's the e-notary so instead of being face-to-face -face at a title company you know perhaps you know you you would send a mobile notary you'd send someone in a car out to someone's house they sit down at their kitchen table and do the signing well now there's there's e notary so it's remote online notarization so so you're literally you have someone doing a notary from anywhere in the world quite honestly and they're doing you know they're doing it uh, basically via webcam you know and so um, two months ago 22 states allowed for remote online notarization we're up to 42 because of this crisis it's pushed the needle from a legislative standpoint at many states and then there's the e the e recording of the documents of the note uh, the deed of trust at the counties, and then there's the e-vault. So there's a, there's a lot to it, right? So at least the e the the, the when you say hybrid, it's like you're not doing all of it from soup to nuts completely electronically. So right. we're we're pushing the closing piece to be done. So that's a big thing. We're getting close to um, rolling something out there, and then um, another project that I think is just is massively uh, popular. Um, you know is uh, you know, we're talking about scaling now. So now that everyone's going to be very busy, everyone's going to scale their company, they're going to scale their business. So um, there's a company called Capacity that I'm a tremendous fan of. I, I've loved it for a year and a half. And uh, they actually won Best in Show at the Digital Mortgage um, uh, Technology Show. Okay. And so, so good. A great group uh, out of um, St. Louis. David Carandish is their CEO. And, uh, you know, he was part of a team, an AI team, that built answers.com and you know this is uh, an ai component machine learning language uh learning um artificial intelligence that that you ask questions to and so you know part of his answers.com you know that the you know after he sold that company he took some years off and his team his team after his non-compete was up he came back into the mortgage business specifically focused on us which is awesome because we're such an archaic business, ripe for disruption. And so, you know, what I like about this chatbot is he already has an integration with Encompass. He already has an integration with Allregs. He already has an integration with uh, Workday or any a number of um, HR systems. They have um, a patent pending that uh, allows it to, to crawl PDFs and crawl documents and, and literally scrape language off documents and use it as part of the knowledge base to answer questions. And so the one thing we cannot get back is time. And we just, we just, you know, so we have a bunch of Zendesk email ticketing systems, which I cannot stand. I hate it. Like everyone's <laughs> emailing, you know, it's just awful. There's so much email. And so what capacity does 
is it helps automate your help desks. So your help desk people can focus on the 20 to 15% of the exception stuff, the stuff that isn't a frequently asked question, the stuff that requires the help desk person to literally throw on a cape and be a hero. And I love that about it because, you know, we want to double our growth. I'll be damned if we're going to double all of our support staff just just because we're growing. Right. It's not that, it, so so when you automate the help desk, you're not you use capacity in this AI um, technology to to help enhance your human capital and and have them focus. I mean, they love it too because then they get to be the hero solving the tough problems as opposed to like, oh my gosh, we just hired another 100 loan officers this month. I got to answer the same 30 questions they ask every single time. You know, I got to point them to this portal. I mean, think think about every company that's out there, and your best situation is you you have the answer memorized. If you don't have the answer memorized, you know where to go find it. So you still got to go here. Maybe it's on the internet. You go with this thing, log down here, drop down, pull this menu, open this PDF, hit Control F, type the word condo, and then look through all 17 instances of the word condo till you find this sentence that you've read that answers the question you're looking for. That's a waste of time. I mean, I want to lay in bed at 11 p.m., which actually that never happens for me personally. But if I'm a loan <laughs> officer and I want to lay in bed and I want to say, hey, um, hey, capacity chatbot, are we open President's Day? Nope, PRMG is closed President's Day. What's the status of the Smith file? Uh, Smith file is clear to close. Uh, what's the bankruptcy period for conventional loans? Seven years. I can get three answers that fast laying in bed 24-7 without having to bug anyone. So imagine what that does for your scale. So, so capacity is a really great, great system uh, that we are, we're rolling out right now. And um, you know, those, those are some of the things that we're working on and trying to innovate right in the middle of a crisis, in the middle of a refi boom that's you know, with all-time historic lows. We're still trying to innovate and have our tech team you know, build some new stuff out and, and just really build a better platform. Well, and I think that's what it, ta it takes, the leadership leading in, informing, educating of the current market conditions, but also having a vision on the future of where do we need to take things. Kevin, I can't thank you enough for sharing your time, your insights. Our listeners gain so much knowledge from you. I know they're going to go back and listen, take additional notes. As we wrap up today, is there anything else you want to leave, uh, You know, anything you want to share with the industry? as we finish this session of FinTech Hunting? Well, I will just say that I feel personally having, so I've been in the business since 2001. I've been an owner of two companies in a row now. And um, my first company, so I've only had three jobs. Uh, my first company, we went through the crash and then I had my own company going through the worst of it. So crashed out in 07, went through the worst of it the following three years, and then came to this company and now working at an ownership level. I can tell you that we came into this crisis with a strong economy and a strong housing um, industry. And, and we're in, I mean, the financial system is, is on solid footing. So despite the disruption that we're facing, despite, uh, you know, forbearance policies and liquidity being a, a, a I'll say, short-term constraint on our industry. Literally just this year is really the issue. And the demand with the lack of consumers having jobs, which will no doubt have an impact later on this year and going into next year. Having said all that, I feel really, really good about where this industry is and how we're going to pull out of it. 
especially compared to 2008. And just, just leave on one note, the housing industry pulled the entire global economy out of the 2008 financial crisis, and the U.S. housing industry will do it again during this health crisis, also known as the Great Lockdown. And we're in such a good position to do it quicker, sooner, and even better than before. So just know that everyone here is part of the system that really, truly is, you know, doing the work to get us out of this mess. And we're so blessed and fortunate to be in this business and, of course, working together with such good professionals and, and great people. So I really appreciate you having me on FinTech Hunting again. Uh, you know I, I'm, I'm game to be on this anytime you ask. And, uh, you know, I, I love, love what you do for the industry. And I love this entire podcast. So thank you so much, Mike. Kevin, thank you so much. Stay safe and we'll be in touch soon, my friend. Will do. FinTech Hunting is brought to you by Next Level Advisors. Next Level Advisors, where businesses come to grow.